um, how, how awesome was worship? I always feel weird thinking like, man, worship was really good today. Like worship's ever not awesome. Um, but it was awesome today. So uh, I was, sorry, I just had to say that. Um, we're going to talk about a story today, but I'm going to ask you a question. What's your favorite type of story? You like a tale of a knight fighting beasts to rescue the princess? Maybe you like a good murder mystery, a whodunit? Maybe you're into romance. And that one Hallmark movie where the person's too busy, and then they have to return home because, you know, that, that thing happens. And then they fall in love with their first grade crush all over again, and, and they decide to leave their busy life. They get married, they run the family farm, and they open up their Christmas gift of a new puppy just as the snow begins to fall. <laughs> right? I like, I like those two. We all kind of like those, just they're predictable. They're, they're happy endings, and that's kind of why we like them. Everybody also loves a good heartwarming story of, of redemption, and Scripture is full of those. So like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a? Okay, we're locked in. Awesome. Just wanted to make sure. So we have that one. We have the story, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, and the young son leaves and squanders everything, comes home, and the father welcomes him back. We also have one of the most well-known stories of the life of Saul, who became Paul, and went on to write most of the New Testament that we have. We love redemption stories. We also love complete stories. Maybe it's just me. I, I don't love suspense. It's not my favorite. We love complete stories, stories that are full of drama and suspense, but have you had, like hanging on the edge of your seat, and just at the moment when all hope seems lost, boom, something happens. Full disclosure, um, there, are two, uh, there are two stories, two types of stories that I like. Anything sports, I grew up playing sports, I play sports any chance I get. Um, now that I'm an old, an old man, my sport is golf, and no, I'm not good at it, um, but I, I, I enjoy it. It's something, it's something to be competitive about, and, and this is uh, not just me pandering to the home crowd, but I think that my favorite movie, my favorite story of all time, again, not pandering to the home crowd, this has been my belief for a long, long time, Smokey and the Bandit is the greatest movie ever made of all time. <laughs> I don't think you can beat it, and part of it is, is my dad's here, I can't tell where he's sitting, um, but I was raised by Buford T. Justice. <laughs> um, and I, I think I've told him that before, if not, surprise. Um, but uh, I did a lot of stuff, and all I would hear is, whoa! And my dad would have something to say about it. And he was right most of the time. I love that, and I love uh, sports stories. So, so maybe for you, that moment, uh, the best moment of the story is that moment where you hear Cletus Snow tell the bandit, move over, good buddy. The snowman's coming through. Get a little tear in my eye. Just think about it. <laughs> maybe a more real-life example um, that checks both redemption and a complete story it's from October 1995, when David Justice maybe ran his mouth a little bit to the papers, made a couple people mad, said something about the Atlanta crowd wasn't good. Then he turned to 1-1 one, one pitch, and the announcer, all, all, all we heard, it was a long drive to right. Ramirez turns to the track. She's gone. The crowd goes crazy. There's silence. The crowd is going bananas. And the announcer breaks in and says, David Justice. All is forgiven in Atlanta. <laughs> Some of y'all are like my great-grandmother, and you thought, no, it ain't. 
That home run put the Braves up for good, and the team of the 90s had their championship. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I just turned 10 months old. <laughs> Life was good. Life was really good. So I ask, if you were to write your own story, what would your story be? What type of story would it be? Would it be a suspenseful thriller? Would it have uh, some elements of a horror novel looking back at your younger years? Maybe you were the knight. Maybe you were the princess. What would your story be, and what would you write from here on out? If you got to write your own story from here on out, what would you write? I think as Christians, we especially love those full circle, tidy redemption stories, because we know that's our story. That's my story. That's your story. That's all of our stories. And the story that we have, uh, the story that we've been redeemed and have a new life because of Christ So this is the disclaimer. I feel like I've had a disclaimer both times that I've preached. Here it is. Um, the disclaimer is, this ain't one of those stories. This is not a neat, tidy story that ends with a bow on it. Um, nor, in my opinion, is this a complete story. This is one of the stories that scripture holds that's not complete. And to be honest, and to be totally transparent, those are the stories that leave me feeling a little frustrated and irritated because I just wanna know how it ends. It feels like the, the last 20 minutes of the movie's been cut off, or somebody just ripped the last chapter out of the book, and it leaves me just asking, what happened? Like I said, I love a good story. And today, um, one week after celebrating the birth of Jesus, we're going to look at the end of his life. We're going to learn about a man named Barabbas. So to set the stage, Jesus has been arrested, he's been betrayed, he's been arrested, and he is put on a trial. And so we're going to pick up in Matthew 27, starting in verse 15. It says, now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At the time, there was a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who was called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of selfish, self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent a message to him. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Pause, time out, going to cut in. Husbands, guys, fellas, you ever got in trouble for something you did in your wife's dream? not here to say it's right or it's wrong. All I can say is it appears to be biblical. <laughs> we'll go on. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate, but they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged 
and handed over to be crucified. So what happens to Barabbas? We see what happens to Jesus. Jesus is is handed over to be crucified. What happens to Barabbas? So who is Barabbas? That's an important question that we have to ask. Who is Barabbas? What do we know about him? Barabbas was a prisoner. He was a robber. He was a murderer. And he was a rebel. And he probably cheated on a spelling test growing up. He rose up and he took part in a, of, uh, part in a rebellion uh, against the Romans. He was caught and he was sentenced to death. So we sit here a couple thousand years later and we, we ask, why would they pick Barabbas? Like, I know they didn't like Jesus, but why would they pick Barabbas? Um, y'all ever seen somebody make a decision and you thought, I don't know what I would have done, but I know I wouldn't have done that. Um, that's how I felt reading this story and going through this story. I don't, I don't get it, but I feel like that, that's not the right thing. But let's think through it, though. Who did at least a portion of the Jewish people want in a Messiah? What were they looking for in a Messiah? They were looking for somebody to lead them, to rise up against the oppressors, to reestablish the Jewish rule. Somebody to lead by the sword, reestablish the Jewish rule. Put the Romans back in their place. So I ask you, and I know that none of y'all, none of y'all are gamblers, but indulge me for a second. If you had to bet on who you wanted to do that, to be that person, uh, are you going to put your money on the convicted rebel leader who has some experience? Or are you going to put, put your money on the, uh, the homeless rabbi who didn't even defend himself in his own trial? and whose band of misfit followers is kind of hard to find at the moment. If that's your goal, if that's your expectation, who do you think is going to get you there? Barabbas checks a lot of boxes for a lot of people and who they want to lead them at this moment. He hated Rome, he killed oppressors, and he led a rebellion. So there's a great lesson that we can learn in this. We have to check our preconceived notions that we have of God and Jesus. We have to check our preconceived notions that we have of God and Jesus. Because if we have drawn hard conclusions on who Jesus is based off of things that are not biblical, we will be disappointed and believe things about God that just are not true. Jesus left many people disappointed because he didn't meet their expectations of a Messiah. Expectations that are unfounded and or uncommunicated will never be met. And so one of these expectations that I had to learn how to check myself was the, that I was supposed to live a comfortable life when I became a Christian. And I'm a Christian now, so good things are supposed to happen. And, and so when bad things happened, it didn't make sense. And so I came to the conclusion that, oh, cool, either God's not good or he doesn't care or he's not listening or whatever. And, and, and preteen, early teenage hunter was fully convinced of that because I was not wrong about anything when I was that age. I knew everything, didn't we all? So thinking that life was supposed to be comfortable, and then I start looking into scripture, and, and I see that not a lot of people live a very comfortable life. People are beaten. Jesus is crucified. Paul gets shipwrecked. He's in prison time and time again. Countless people are beaten. Martyrs all across. And then we also see scriptures that 
I'm not promised an easy life. Not only that, I'm promised trials, promised tribulations. I'm promised that life is tough, but I am not alone. I'm not forsaken. I'm not abandoned. Those are the promises that we can keep. So going on to verse 20, again, but the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of these two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate, but they shouted all the louder, crucify him. So the crowd is persuaded, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And some people, this is, this is, this is just for, uh, for fun. Um, some people say that where Barabbas was, he can't hear Pilate. He can't hear a single thing that Pilate says. So all Barabbas hears is, give us Barabbas. And then, crucify him. I feel like Barabbas might have been on his toes a little bit. Give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. That's what the crowd says. And so we see firsthand the mob mentality of the crowd. And what we learn from that is that who you surround yourself with matters. And um, as the student minister here, um, that is something that I'm trying to uh, just, there's no good way to say this, to beat into these children's head. Um, one of my favorite stats that I have been told and that I have um, lived and that I have seen and that I believe is that you are the sum of your five best friends. Who you surround yourself with matters. And I believe the most common mob that we can find ourselves in um, it's definitely the easiest accessible mob that we can find ourselves in is a social media comment section. Because even though there's a name and there might be a face, um, there's so much anonymity and there's no real connection. So people will type stuff that they would never say, especially with somebody's face. So there's a lot of power in talking to someone. There's a lot of power in talking to someone, not at someone. You know when somebody talks at you and it takes everything in you to just not just come across the table? There's a lot of power in talking to someone, not at someone. And we as people need connection. That's what I learned about myself. I'm a pretty private, I'm a reserved person. I'm definitely like an introvert. Um, being up here is terrifying. But during lockdown, that was something that I learned about myself really quick. I may not need a bunch of people around me, but I need to know that people exist. And sitting in this little tiny office at our house and just watching the birds fly out the window and not feel like I didn't see anybody other than my wife for, it felt like years. I found myself in a, in a very bad place. And it became apparent to me that I, I need connection. We need connection. And that's why that's the vision, that's the goal of our student ministry, is to connect students with God and each other. Because connection matters, and once you're connected with God, you are connected to life. Spoiler alert, I've given you a disclaimer and a spoiler alert. Y'all may never come back. Spoiler alert, in 2024, we're going to talk a lot about sharing your faith. So when I think about this, when I think about me sharing my faith, I share about the hope about the love, about the peace, about the new life that I have. But if I'm not careful, I let the world around me distract from the life within me. 
Who you surround yourself with matters. Don't let yourself get swept up in a mob because we see how quickly it turns. Uh, it, it kind of shocked me how quickly that we see that, that the leaders go through and they have to persuade the crowd the first time to even ask for Barabbas. Like, no, no, this is the guy that we want. Trust me. We've done the research. We want Barabbas. And then like three verses later, they're like, put the blood on our kids. And you're like, that, that seems like a drastic jump. Like y'all weren't sold and now all of a sudden you're here? Like, we see how, how quickly things can turn. And as Paul puts it later in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. Who you surround yourself with matters. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, it is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. So Pilate sees what's going on, and he literally and figuratively washes his hands of it. Barabbas is freed, Jesus is beaten, and turned over to the crowd, and that is the last time that we see anything from Barabbas. So who was Barabbas? What happens to him? Who does he become? We see that he gets a new lease on life. He gets released because of Jesus' death. He is physically freed, but what about spiritually? What about you? So the full circle story of redemption is that Barabbas walked into the crowd. He was fully aware of who Jesus is and what has just happened. Um, but sadly, we have no indication that that's how that happened. There's, no, there's nothing to lead us to believe that that happened. We can hope it happened. We can want it to have happened, but we just don't know. Barabbas knows what Jesus did, but he didn't know who Jesus was. Barabbas knows who Je what Jesus did, but he doesn't know who Jesus was. So do you know who Jesus is? Not just what he's done. You know who Jesus is. What has he done in your life? Who is Jesus to you? One of my favorite things in student ministry is that God is still writing their stories. And it is, it is fantastic. It does my heart a lot of good to see, to see that and then to see students get that. To see them understand that there is a God who not only created the universe, but also loves them, knows them, cares about them, and sent his son for them. So God is still writing their story. And God is still writing your story. Whether you're eight, 18, 98, God is still writing your story. If you got a bad job, a new job, no job. God is still writing your story. God hasn't given up on you, and he surely is not done with you. So we want to know what happened to Barabbas. But let me ask this question. Is it sadder for Barabbas to know the full extent of what has happened and be unchanged? Or to be completely unaware of not only what Christ has done, but also who he truly is. We can't control if somebody cares at all about the gospel. And that is, that is, points in my life that is frustrating. There are times where, where my thought is, if I, could, if I could get it for you, I would. If I could get you, if I could just do that, I would. But we can't control if somebody cares at all about the gospel. 
but there is not an excuse good enough for them to not know about the hope, the peace, the love, the forgiveness, the joy, the life that you have. Christ's death has freed us. And as somebody that has a new life, that changes everything. It changes how we work. It changes how we talk. It changes how we see others. And it changes how we see Jesus. So as we finish today, all of you are going to follow in Barabbas' footsteps. You'll walk through a crowd into a broken and hurting world that is searching desperately for hope, for joy, for peace, for love, for light, into a world that's looking for life. And you have it. You have it in you, and you have it in abundance because you live a new life in Christ. So how would you write your 2024? I asked you earlier, how would you write the rest of your life? How do you write your 2024? If I gave you a paper and a pen, how would you write it? What does your 2024 look like if you share the life you have in you with the world right in front of you? We live a new life because of Christ. And that is an awesome thing. That is, that is why we are here. That is something that we celebrate weekly. We live a new life because of Christ. So share the life within you to the world before you. So there's one type of person in here, in each and every chair, a Barabbas. Like I said, everyone in here is a Barabbas. But there are two types of Barabbases. Both have been freed through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But both don't know that they have a new life just waiting for them to live. So New Year is a time for a lot of people to hit reset. A lot of people look really forward to a new year. <clears throat> it's a time uh, to mark the first day of a new skill, um, of a new habit, or a new discipline. Why not a new life? And the best part is that you don't have to wait till tomorrow to start a new life. You can have new life right now. So to close today, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for those who want that new life, um, a life that is in Christ. And if that's you, this is the thing, if that's you, talk to somebody. Because if there's anything in the world worth celebrating, it's new life. Our sister-in-law is, is due in like a week from now. And so my whole next week is planned. I'll, I feel like I've got everything down to the menu planned. Because new life is worth celebrating. And if it's, if it's true for a baby, it is true for everybody. Because we have eternal life that's worth celebrating. So if that's you, if you want that new life, talk to somebody. And let somebody know. Because we want to celebrate with you. And we want to talk about next steps with you. And for you who are living a new life, that very life that we've been talking about, maybe you've been living your new life for 45 years. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for me. I'll pray for us to be bold and courageous in living and sharing that new life that we have in others. I would love for y'all to join me. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. God, thank you that you are good and that you are good to us. Lord, I pray for those who, who want new life. God, the life that you have for us, God, the eternal life. 
God, the life that you sent your son to secure for us. God, be with those people. God, give them the courage to talk to somebody, God, because life is worth celebrating. God, and, and give, give those of us the courage to live that life, Lord, to live it out loud, God, to live it publicly, Lord, to live it where we go, God, to share our faith with those around us. Lord, help us to live the life that you have created, that you have called, and that you have equipped us to live. God, be with us as we go from here, Lord. Thank you for all that you are, all that you're doing. God, and thank you for the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here. Y'all have a happy new year, and we will see y'all next week.